welcome and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most mind-boggling, hair-raising homicide cases in Maryland are discussed, they are examined, and they are profiled. For this season, season seven, the focus is on murder cases where the murderer, they pled not guilty by reason of insanity or not mentally competent to stand trial because of a history of documented mental illness. And when I say mental illnesses, I don't mean that the killer or the murderer, they just, you know, snapped one day, they had a form of pent up rage and they just kirked out. I don't mean that they just got mad and just lost it one day. No, for the most part, these killers were severely sick, severely mentally ill, mentally deranged. They had histories of well-documented mental illness and had at least one stay at a mental institution, but they were somehow allowed to live and function in society when they showed clear signs that they probably should have been committed a long time ago. Now, mostly all of the murderers for this season have been sentenced indefinitely to Clifton T. Perkins Forensic Hospital, which is the only real maximum security mental institution that we have for the criminally insane in this state, meaning that there's no real chance that they will ever be released back into society. There's no real chance that there's like no parole, you know, because their murders were so bizarre, so outlandish, so brutal, so pointless that they cannot live in society with the rest of us. And the murderer that I'm going to profile for this episode is the weird and senseless murder of 57-year-old Harry Allen Wagner who was murdered by his mentally ill tenant, 41-year-old Neil Jesse Manning. And just like in all of the other episodes that are in this podcast, a portion will be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention or basically, basically a new focus because a not a lot, if anything, is going on with the case. Nothing is being done. The case is just sitting. And last season, because I profiled 10 unsolved homicides where the victims were female, it's only right that I pay the same amount of attention to the males. So for this season, all of the unsolved homicides that will be profiled, the victims will be males. And this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 21-year-old Kayvon Dix. Alright y'all, this next case is weird. I know, I know, I already know. A lot of these cases are weird, especially for this particular season, which focuses on mental health related murders. And a lot of them are unexplainable. But for this case, I literally, I'm not even going to lie, I actually had to use Google. For example, what the fuck is a warlock? I had no idea, but according to Wikipedia, a warlock is a male 
who practices witchcraft or the same thing as the witch basically except a warlock is a male so a warlock is some sort of an evil dark person with supernatural powers and in witchcraft people can put spells on people for evil reasons i have only seen the only thing I know about warlocks or male witches is I've, I've only seen the first Harry Potter movie. I mean, I know, don't kill me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm quite sure it's a good movie. I'm quite sure the books are good. I did read the books, but um, I'm quite sure the movie The Lord of the Rings has a warlock in it. Um, I'm, I'm quite sure it's filled with uh, warlocks. They even had a movie called Warlock one time. Um, let me see, witchcraft, uh, sorcery, the occult, witches, all that stuff. It's not really like my thing. It's not really my area of expertise, but it's the theme or the motive for this next homicide that I'm going to discuss and profile. 41-year-old Neil Jesse Manning, he suffered from mental illness. And like a lot of people who are bipolar, schizophrenic, uh, chronically depressed, or whatever they will refuse to admit it or acknowledge that anything is wrong maybe they can't see it themselves maybe they don't know it but they just don't want to face the truth maybe they don't like the judgment that they may think that they may receive from their friends their family or the public in general maybe they just can't accept that whole life-changing diagnosis that will put them on medication for the rest of their lives. Maybe they can't make the required changes or adjustments that a mental illness diagnosis could bring on. Or maybe they just don't like the side effects of any prescribed medication, who knows? But refusing to acknowledge or accept that you have an obvious mental illness is extremely common in a lot of people who suffer from mental illness and Neil was no different. Neil's friends and family, they knew and could clearly see that something was obviously off with Neil. They could tell. And they knew that his behavior and everything was just a little weird with him. And they constantly, constantly encouraged Neil that he should get some therapy. Um, he should see a psychiatrist. They encouraged him to talk to a counselor, to go see a therapist, something but Neil ignored all of this. He paid none of them no mind. He ain't listened to none of their pleas for him to get any help. And because he never got any help to learn how to deal with uh, his mental illness, to learn how to deal with the emotions and stuff that he was feeling, he started slipping deeper and deeper into the pits of his mental illness and things got worse. You know, People that suffer from mental illness, depression, uh, these type of diseases and stuff like that, when friends and family are encouraging you to see a therapist, you know, sometimes people can take that as something negative when really we're just looking out for you. You know, maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you need to see somebody, you know, stuff like that. You know, and when a friend or family member does not take heed to those warnings, it can have disastrous results. You know, Neil still managed to function somewhat normally out in society. You know, he held a job. He worked various jobs in the computer field. He wasn't stupid. I mean, as time went on, Neil's mental illness got even worse. Because you can't ignore how you're feeling. 
um, and at a Christmas party at his family's home in the 2000 and year 2000, Neil confided to his family that now he was starting to hear voices and that he couldn't take it and he wanted to kill himself and die. That's not normal. But his family, they really didn't take him seriously. They didn't think nothing of what Neil was telling them. You know, they thought that maybe he was just saying all of this because he had diabetes and maybe it was a side effect of his diabetes was acting up or something. None of them thought that Neil was even capable of anything violent towards himself and certainly not towards other people. Neil got his own place. Like I said, he managed to function in society. Uh, he worked. He rented a room with his landlord at a home in the 7700 block of Outing Avenue in Pasadena, Maryland. Now, his landlord, who was 57-year-old Harry Allen Wagner, he worked as a cargo company dispatcher, but he also rented out rooms in his home to people who needed somewhere to live. And one of the rooms that he rented to was to Neil. And shortly after Neil moved into Harry's home, Neil started accusing Harry of being a warlock. I'm quite sure that freaked, that must have freaked Harry out. Imagine some stranger, or rather even worse, some dude that you just met that you are allowing to live in your home, and he's coming at you accusing you of being a male witch. Maybe he thought, okay, this dude is weird, maybe just a little bit off. You know, one of those types of people that you sometimes see walking down the street, like mumbling to themselves, talking to themselves. You know that they might be not here, not all the way here. They not they don't seem not necessarily dangerous, but just a little weird. But as the weeks and months went by, Neil started accusing Harry of being like some warlock. I kid you not, out of the blue, out of nowhere. It must have freaked Harry out enough because he told his family about it at their Christmas dinner. And the whole issue wasn't no joke because, you know, he managed to mention it. It had to have been on his mind because, you know, he's telling his family about it. And Harry's brother told Harry that he needed to tell Neil, who was his tenant, that, like, no, I'm not a warlock. No, there are no voices coming from my head. And you need to find a new place to live because this is a little bit much. But Harry didn't do that. He, he never had that conversation with Neil and it would prove to be a fatal mistake. Shortly after Harry had the conversation with his family at Christmas about his tenant accusing him of being some warlock, on January the 4th, 2011, a little after midnight, shots rang out in the home, and Neil, who had absolutely no criminal record at all, shot Harry with a shotgun and a handgun while Harry was sitting on his couch in the living room watching TV. Neil hadn't even been living there for a full year yet. After shooting Harry, Neil calmly called 911 to report what he had done, and when the police showed up at his house, Harry was pronounced dead. Neil just nonchalantly, like it was nothing, he calmly gave himself up and admitted to the police 
that he had just shot his landlord because his landlord was a warlock and he had been conjuring up spells against him and he thought that his landlord was dangerous, a threat. Whew. Arrested and charged with first-degree murder, Neil told the detectives that he had been hearing voices who he described as demons. And these demons specifically told him to use a shotgun and a handgun, both that he had kept hidden in his bedroom. After Neil received court-ordered psychiatric evaluation, Neil was determined to be mentally ill and eventually Neil was found not criminally responsible and committed indefinitely to Clifton T. Perkins Forensic State Hospital for the criminally insane. As Neil pled guilty to first-degree murder, he told the judge, I'm sorry, I didn't know what was happening to me was a mental illness. That sentence to, you know, him being sentenced to Perkins, Clifton Perkins, that ain't sit right with Harry's family. And they blamed Neil's family for Neil killing Harry because they felt that since they knew that Neil was mentally ill, then why didn't they get him help? They felt like, you know, if you were so concerned about your brother and you knew your brother was acting weird, why didn't you insist on him getting help? His brother released a statement to the press that said, I mean, uh, his family said that we reached out to him. We really tried to help him, but some people are unreachable, which I can agree. Um, that's what his family told the reporters. But Harry's brother told the Baltimore Sun that Harry's, you know, his murder completely crushed his four nephews and two nieces and it was such a devastating blow to their entire family, really. He said it's justice for Mr. Manning because he's getting the help he needs. But for our family, I don't think that it's justice. And he's right. But in Neil's family's defense, you can't force a person to get mental health treatment that they don't want to. Um... I mean, maybe there are some ways that you can have a person committed. There are, I guess, when they're showing signs that they are a threat to themselves or a threat to other people. I'm quite sure there are ways that you can have them committed. But nobody saw this coming. And, you know, it, it was just a tragedy all around. This was going to be, this case was going to be notorious um, in the state of Maryland. Simply not because of the fact that Neil suffered from mental illness, but the weird aspect of it that he thought that his victim was a warlock is if this is what goes on in the minds of people that are mentally ill and you know they don't take their prescribed medication I've asked this question before you know in previous episodes on for this particular season if a person that has been determined to be mentally ill if they decide that they don't want to take their medication because of the side effects and stuff like that, should they be held accountable for homicides that they committed if they were not taking their medication? Should they hold that same defense of not criminally responsible or they want to plead insanity because they deliberately chose not to take their medication? 
you know, I have still have yet to receive a sufficient satisfying answer to that question, but it, it makes a person wonder. I mean, if you had the, the right frame of mind to decide that you want to take, you don't want to take medication, how can you be legally insane? I mean, maybe his family could have done, maybe Neil's family could have done more to prevent Harry's uh, murder, but it's, was it really their responsibility? He was a grown man. I mean, are they legally responsible for a mentally ill relative and the actions that they do? I don't think they should be held that much accountable for, I mean, his family. They can only do so much. Um, accountability. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about accountability. Um, again, it poses the question. Um, if someone is mentally ill and you stop taking your medication and you decide you want to commit a murder, are you technically legally insane? I mean, this case, when I first heard about it, it stood out. I'm not going to lie. It stood out because I had to Google, what is a warlock? He thought that his his landlord was a male witch, basically. And he just rapidly descended into mental illness that could have been avoided. I can't even imagine explaining this to um, Harry's relatives, why and how he was killed. It's just devastating all around. And that's why this particular case made the list for this um, particular season of mental illness murders of one of the most notorious mentally ill related murder cases in Maryland strictly for the aspect and the warlock <laughs> mentioning reference of it. it. It it definitely made the list for this particular uh, season. And now it's time to move right on into this week's Unsolved Homicide. And like I say in every single episode, every single one, Although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides in the state of Maryland that were noteworthy, that may have received a fair amount of press, they might have made Murder, Inc., Fox 45, and all this attention and press, this podcast also shines a light or gives a focus to the many unsolved homicides that we see in this state that do not receive a lot of attention, that they do not receive a lot of press um, they don't make the news. These killings are so common in this state that nobody talks about them. They're not even discussed. Um, they're forgotten about. Sometimes when a person gets killed in this state, you don't hear nothing else about it. You might hear somebody referencing it maybe once or twice, and that's it. It's like the victim was here one minute, and they're gone the next and the number of homicides in this state that we have that are unsolved are is completely staggering. I ain't even lying. I'm talking about homicide detectives. They cannot do it all by themselves. They could be at one case, you know, working a homicide case and then get called for something else. And it's basically a matter of preference or of importance. What cases they have the most evidence on. And, but what happens to the cases where nobody is talking at all? Or where the cases where because of the victim's past, maybe they had, you know, they sold some drugs in their background. Maybe they were, you know, tricking or whatever. What happened to the cases where 
these detectives, y'all already know, they ain't really trying to investigate because they quote unquote the victim. They think they they assume that they had it coming because of their type of lifestyle. Or what about the cases where you have cases where um, a person was killed and the people know who did it. They know who did it, but they can't prove it. They can't really set it all up. They don't really want to snitch. They really want the detectives to do their job and let them figure it out. It just seems like the killer just simply got away with murder. Honestly, I mean, what happens to these type of cases? It just seems like literally nothing is being done with these forgotten homicides. Not because nobody cares anymore. Not because the family doesn't care anymore or the friends of the victim don't care anymore. It's because there's so many other homicides that have been pushed to the forefront. It's like because it's almost like we've become we've become immune to homicides in the state. Well, on this podcast, this one right here, Maryland's most notorious murders. Although I do talk a lot about cases where uh, the murderer or the killer they received a lot of attention, they received sometimes national attention. But this, on the flip side, this podcast also focuses on homicide cases that did not receive the attention that they deserved. And with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 21-year-old Kevin Dix. Now, Kevin was a senior and a member of Morgan State's University Choir at the College of Liberal Arts, where he was a tenor. On Wednesday, April the 24th, 2019, Kevin left a friend's home around 10.30 p.m. after he had spent the evening studying and was on his way to see his brother when someone walked up to him and shot him several times in the 5900 block of Bertram Avenue in the Glenham Bel Air neighborhood of Northeast Baltimore City. When the police were called and they showed up at the scene, Kevon was pronounced dead. Kevon still had his cell phone and he was carrying a laptop and it didn't appear that he was robbed or anything. An intense lover of music, as a child, Kevon was always singing. He spent his childhood singing in local talent shows at City Neighbors High School in Northeast Baltimore City before moving on to Morgan State University where he was a full-time student and also held a job by working as a toll collector for the Maryland Department of Transportation to help pay for school. Kevin also was Kevon also was a mentor to other kids in the neighborhood and he volunteered through an organization called the Michael Jones Mentoring Group which basically helps to improve kids' self-esteem and academic achievements. Kevon also operated a YouTube channel called Key Sings, where he sang various artist songs. Kevon was supposed to graduate in December of that same year, and he had big dreams of singing on Broadway or teaching voice lessons. But unfortunately, Kevon became one of two people shot and killed on that same day, and one of 348 people 
that were killed in one of the deadliest homicidal years that Baltimore City has seen. With no real apparent motive, Kevon's murder completely touched so many people who knew him and over 800 people prayed, paid their respects to him at his funeral. Kevon's mother released a statement to the Baltimore Sun that read, My son was a good guy who worked hard juggling school and a job. He was building a legacy. We will never have closure. Because Kevon was not just a big factor of, in our life, but in the lives of everyone, everybody who he touched. When I needed something done the right way, he was the person I called. When I needed something taken out for dinner, he was the person I called. When I needed a phone call made, he was the person I called. You could just feel the hurt and devastation in her voice as she made that statement. And so far in this case, there has been no arrests made, no leads in this case, and Baltimore City detectives have a $2,000 reward for any information that will lead to an arrest or a conviction for this particular homicide. So, if you have any information at all that you can provide to Baltimore City detectives, please give Baltimore City Cold Case Detectives a call at 410-396-2100. You can also give them a call at one 866 lockup which is Metro Crime Stoppers. You can also send them a text message at 443-402-4824. You can send them an email at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. Once again, those numbers are Baltimore City Cold Case Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can give them a call at Metro Crime Stoppers, which is 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can send them a text message at 443-402-4824. You can also send them an email at homicidetips at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. So do the right thing. Bring some justice to this former Morgan, Morgan State student alumni and bring some answers and closures to his family. This is ridiculous, people. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. For paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version of why I do what I do, how and why I got into true crime, the true crime books, and why I decided to start a true crime podcast. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and just decided to join the whole crazy fad of starting a true crime podcast, but nope, that ain't even, not even close to the truth. Um, there's a big long history to this method of weirdness of blood and gore and guts and gory and all that other stuff. That y'all think I'm fantasized with? I promise you. Just click on the past episode entitled Why I Do What I Do and you'll understand more about why I'm so into true crime. It explains um, 
why I started writing the books and uh, why I started the podcast, why I started writing the articles, stuff like that. And I also want to let my listeners know that for season one, which that was the season that focused on the uh, all of the child uh, killers, six of those episodes have been selected for film production, meaning production has officially begun on the video or documentary production version of one of those of those episodes. And the very first documentary, it, it, it will be the very first documentary produced by Savage Life Productions, and it will be based off of the very first episode that was featured on this podcast. So if you don't know what the very first episode was, I was nervous, I was scared, I was like, what am I doing? Check it out. <laughs> so ignore the nervousness in the voice and all of that, but focus on the story in the case, because that's what's going to be the theme for the very first episode, uh, the video that will be produced. So tune in because the video version will be coming to you soon, later this year, hopefully sometime during the summer. And while you're at it, check out the new website, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, where you can access episodes one through six. You can also find links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. Uh, you can also find links to my local bestsellers, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, uh, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, which is a book that every woman should read. And also you can find links to my very first book, Child of Baltimore, which is kind of like based off of my life story a little bit. You can also check me out on the latest season of Payback, which airs on TV One. You can also check me out on the Oxygen Network for uh, Black Widow Murders, where I profiled Marilyn's female serial killer, Josephine Gray. And if you really feel like doing some digging to try to really figure out who I am, you can catch me on TV One's Justice By Any Means, TV One's Fatal Attraction, where I profiled the uh, North Carolina... Uh, child murderer Peter Moses or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network I did that years ago but once the season 1 documentary videos are available you will also be able to find the links to the videos here at uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders dot com so be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome another high profile homicide occurring in Maryland will be profiled it will be examined and it will be discussed on maryland's most notorious murders and this has been a savage life production